Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Now, you will recall last week we went into the histories of Johann Sebastian Bach and his famous musical son, Carl Philippe Emanuel Bach. And we'll call them JS and CPE for short for the remainder of this podcast. Now, this week we are going to take a look at two pieces of music by JS and CPE respectively, and they are each going to be a piece for solo flute. The first by JS is the Partita in A minor for solo flute, and the second by CPE is the Flute Sonata in A minor. So as you can already tell, these pieces share many similarities. They are both for solo flute, which in this case literally means for flute only. There is no accompaniment of basso continuo to speak of. Also, they're both in A minor. However, as we'll get into here in just a little bit, there are significant differences between the two works. Let's start out talking a little about J.S.'s partita. First off, what is a partita? The word itself is Italian for part, but that doesn't give many clues as to how the musical structure of a partita actually plays out. It seems in the Baroque, the genre had several evolutions before Johann Sebastian got to it. By the time he was writing this flute partita in 1722, the word meant that it was kind of a suite of dances. However, unlike many pieces that actually have the word sweet in the title, a partita stays strictly in the home key that is indicated. Since Bach loved both music theory and suites so much, the difference between a true suite and a partita was very important to him. If he was going to call something a partita, then it was going to stay in that same home key. Given this information, let's walk through the movements of this partita. Each movement is a stylized dance, as we would expect from a suite-esque genre. First, we have an allemande, which is a stately and moderately paced dance. Next, we have the carente. This is a more spirited dance that starts out with a rush of notes. The third movement takes the tempo back down with a slow and mournful sarabande. Finally, the fourth and last movement is titled Boire Anglise, meant to be in an English style. Next, we 
Now this format of dance styles is fairly standard for a small suite. There's an introductory type of movement, a flashy and upbeat dance, then in the third movement we calm down and end with a splash of excitement. Interestingly, though we're still talking about the Baroque era here, this format of styles is actually quite similar to what the symphony would become. Indeed, even in the late Romantic era, composers like Mahler were using dance styles as the basis for their symphonic forms. As this is J.S. Bach at his Baroque finest, we have to talk about his sequencing. His skill at bringing the music through different keys quickly through the sequencing was definitely a product of his expert fugue writing. Sequencing is by far one of the most simple tricks in the book to build tension and forward momentum in a phrase and still get right back to where you started. It involves simply taking a bunch of notes and transposing them in the same pattern onto a different set of notes, effectively temporarily taking you into a different yet related key instantly. J.S. Bach was very good at writing long passages that would work in sequence, we hear that here in the first movement, where first he has an entire sequenced measure passage that is then followed by half-measure long sequences. He is also capable, however, of writing quick sequences that are only about one beat long, as we hear in the second movement. Of course, he can travel through more keys with the shorter passages, but it just sounds really impressive that he's also capable of writing such long passages that can be perfectly transposed to fit in the desired key of an ongoing sequence. Let's skip over to talk a little bit about CPE's solo flute sonata. When CPE was writing it in 1747, he was already working for King Frederick II, who did in fact play the flute. However, there is speculation that this piece was a side job for CPE. Works written for the king were not allowed to be published for the general public to consume, but since we know this work was published and well-loved by the masses during the king's life, we can only assume CPE seemed to have grown fond of writing for the flute and wanted the world to enjoy some of his compositional talent. We all know in general what a sonata is, and by the time CPE got around to writing this sonata, the form was already well established. Like most sonatas, this work consists of three movements. Now, a little out of the ordinary, the first movement is marked adagio. Things then pick up in the second movement, which is marked Allegro. Most sonatas we think of would have these first two movements reversed, the fast before the slow, but this format CPE picked is still valid within the genre. Then, like most multi-movement pieces of any genre, the final movement is flashy and grander than the preceding movements.
We talked about JS having sequences in his partita, and CPE having been a devoted student of his father's teachings, followed in his footsteps. There are sequences galore. A particularly notable passage is in the third movement. What's interesting is initially a listener might think this passage won't actually be sequenced because it contains sequences within itself already. However, that doesn't hold back CPE. He sequences the sequences until he arrives back in his home key. We alluded earlier that though these pieces might seem similar at first, they are actually quite stylistically different. And this is expected, because as we mentioned in our last episode, J.S. was king of the Baroque style, but near the end of his life, his popularity began to fade as his style was viewed as old-fashioned. His partita was written right in the middle of his life at his peak Baroqueness. However, CPE's piece was written just three years before his father's death. While CPE's royal employer did like the older styles, there was definitely a sense of wanting to stay in vogue that did allow CPE to get away with some stylistic progression. One aspect of the pieces that really shows a difference in style is the way they emphasize harmony. JS tends more toward long lines that don't necessarily fit into a consistent phrase pattern. For example, within movement 3, the sarabande, there's a phrase that's four measures long, And within the same section of the movement, there's a phrase that's seven measures long. It could be argued that this phrase is actually a set of a three and four measure phrases, but even then we see a disruption in the structure with the three bar phrase. Almost as if it was like JS wasn't restraining the harmony, but rather letting it wander wherever it felt, and he followed along, filling the notes as he needed to point out the harmony to the listener. In CPE's Sonata, we do hear some similar long phrase writing. But CPE also thoroughly utilizes a technique that creates a pseudo-bass line. At the beginning of changes in the harmony, he often has the flautist play a very low note that is supposed to be the basis of the harmony before jumping up to a higher note to elaborate on the melody. Now JS does this occasionally in his work too, but it seems much more prevalent in CPE's work. This is actually a very common tactic in unaccompanied works for instruments that can only play one note at a time. The idea is that emphasizing a lower note makes the ear remember what the note sounded like as notes in a different range are played. As a result, the listener's brain artificially creates a pedal tone under the melody as though a whole chord were being played. Another big difference between the two pieces is that while Johann Sebastian only provided the notes, CPE added dynamics and articulations. 
During the Baroque era, dynamics weren't really a thing because the popular instruments like organ and harpsichord could really only play one dynamic. You got louder or quieter based on how many notes were being played at once. So even on instruments that could change dynamic, like the flute, it just wasn't really a thing that was added at the time. As time went on, however, and instruments became more flexible, it became more common practice to include dynamics and articulations. CPE only provides general guidelines of piano or forte, however, it's still more than we got from the Baroque era. Of course, if we were to move further into the classical era, we get very specific dynamic instructions. For example, in Papa Haydn's Surprise Symphony. One more thing that is really different about CPE's work is the amount of surprises he does include. So while it's still not a humorous work per se, there is a particular phrase that stands out as kind of strange in the first movement. unresolved. It seems like a risk that JS would not have been willing to take in a piece like this, yet CPE was bold enough and willing to leave the listener hanging on an unresolved harmony. These pieces do have a lot of similarities, but they are also very distinct. With knowledge of the composers JS and CPE Bach, as well as the changing styles during their lifetime, many people would probably be able to pick out which composer had written each piece. Thank you very much for listening to the, this episode of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. And if you like what we do, please share us with a classically music-minded friend and leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. J.S. Bach's Partita in A minor for solo flute was performed by Paula Robinson. C.P.E. Bach's Flute Sonata in A minor was performed by Marco Granados. You can find The Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Coffeehouse Classical.